I was watching the lyrics as they were sharing and um, singing. And I just thought uh, that is the condition we find ourselves in so many times. We're just worn out. Um, we're worn out from a life of sin and rebellion and uh, darkness, which is why God calls us out, brings us into himself. But we're also just worn in these seasons. And I'm grateful that we can encourage one another and be encouraged in the Lord. I, I just want to say, man, uh, Will and Wade and Christina and Abby and, and Nathaniel and Serene, their families are incredible. And I really believe them when they say that those kinds of activities, moments with their small groups make a difference in their lives. And the reason we're pushing it is not because we're trying to push a program, but because we honestly believe that that's where most of the life happens in our church where smaller groups can allow for God to do things in unique ways and cause growth to happen in our families and each of us individually and, and help us to reach out to our neighbors. And so our encouragement to you in this season, especially when we can't be together on a Sunday morning, is to be involved in a small group because it's in those places that you're gonna find uh, God's work in you and, your, and God's work through you. Uh, what we're doing here this summer, as we're not gathering on Sunday mornings at our church building, is that we're just continuing our live stream. And we'll have occasions for in-person gatherings where it can be safe and in smaller configurations. Um, but we're going to keep doing the live stream through the end of the summer. And what we're doing specifically as we open the Word of God is we're taking a look at the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. And it's a fun book. It's uh, It's exciting. And we're finding out that this book has a whole lot more to do with the unveiling and the revealing of Jesus as king than it does with predictions or charting out future events. Uh, we've also seen that Jesus in this book is addressing seven churches in Asia Minor. And he is commending them where they get things right. And he is rebuking them where they miss the mark. And in most cases, he's calling them to repentance, to come back to him. And I feel like that it's, it's really relevant for the church today. There are things that we've gotten right. There's a lot of things we've missed the mark on. And there's a lot of areas that we need to come back to him. We need to repent and find what was original to his call in our lives. Today, we're going to look at the first of these seven churches, and that is the church of Ephesus. And we read in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This city, Ephesus, is the first that's addressed. And while Pergamum was the capital of Asia province, Ephesus was probably the greatest city in the province, and it was certainly one of the most significant in the ancient world. As the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, behind Rome and uh, Alexandria and Antioch of Syria, the Ephesians were a city full of pride. They were, they were so proud of their city. They, in fact, they were notorious for declaring it to be the first and the greatest metropolis of all Asia. They were proud. They were strong in their devotion to their city. Ephesus could have 
been also called the city that never sleeps because it had a port, uh, a harbor that operated 24 hours a day. And in fact, there were a series of, of torches, lampstands, if you will, that were lighting the road from the city all the way down to the port. And that port harbor was working all the time. Over its history, Ephesus had to be moved, interestingly enough, five different times. They moved the whole city because the flow of the Caser River was silting up the harbor and causing uh, it to no longer be functional. And so the city had to keep being moved out, relocated to stay close to the water. But apparently, <laughs> it didn't move enough because today the ruins of Ephesus are six miles inland from the sea. The coast is now nothing more than a sandy beach. It's completely unapproachable by ship. Other, other things about Ephesus that are kind of noteworthy is that it was known in the Roman Empire as a free city, something that was allowed by Rome on certain occasions when it served their purpose. They'd allow certain cities like Ephesus to be free and self-governing and exempt from housing Roman troops. So there was a lot of freedom in Ephesus that you might not find in other cities. And Ephesus was known for the, for the plurality of religion. There were numerous religions in this city. Chief among them was the worship of the fertility goddess uh, Artemis. And in fact, she had, they had a temple built to her there that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was magnificent as far as a structure goes. It was four times larger than the Parthenon in Athens. And Ephesus also had famous temples of worship to the Roman emperors Claudius and Nero. And in later years, they added temples to Hadrian and to Severus. So Ephesus was known for its religious institutions and systems. And that didn't exclude the Jewish population because there was a large Jewish population there in Ephesus, complete with their own synagogue. But of course, this group largely remained hostile towards any followers of Jesus who lived among them. But despite all of that, in the midst of this bustling metropolis, the Ephesian church, it thrived. It thrived. It was, it was probably started by some of Paul's disciples, Aquila and his wife Priscilla, and it was also assisted by a leader in the church called Apollos. And it was also the headquarters of Paul himself. And he lived there for three years and kind of based out of there where it allowed for him to, to declare the word of God throughout all of Asia Minor, both to Jews and Greeks. And of course, Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesian church. We read that in our scripture. And he wrote it while he was in the Roman jail. And then he also had Timothy, his spiritual son, involved in Ephesus. He told, he told Timothy, Paul did, to remain in Ephesus and to teach sound doctrine and to fight the good fight of faith. Now, these things were all pretty good indicators that this was a significant church. But maybe one of the most telling scriptures about the Ephesian church is from the book of Acts. As Paul is making his way to Jerusalem, knowing that he will face great affliction and imprisonment and probably death, 
He is on his way because the Holy Spirit is leading him there. And all the brothers and sisters are trying to persuade Paul not to go, but he's determined. But on his way, he stops by and summons the leaders, the elders of Ephesus. And in a really emotional scene that you can find in Acts 20, he he is on the seashore sharing his heart with these men. He had loved them, had served with them, and he is sharing with them and praying with them, and they know this will be the last time that they see him. But it's in his message to them on that beach that has couched a very stern warning that is pertinent for the scriptures we read today. Acts 20 verse 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Remember, he's talking to the elders in Ephesus. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That is a prophetic warning spoken by the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian church, and he speaks it some 30 years before John's revelation to them. Now, here's something very interesting to you, uh, to me anyway, is that after Paul's death, the very same John who wrote Revelation moved to Ephesus and became the bishop over the church there. So he was, he was stationed in Ephesus leading and preaching when he was exiled from Ephesus to the Isle of Patmos, which was off of the coast. And then he was eventually released, according to church history, and he went back to Ephesus. Now, legend tells us that that John also brought Mary, the mother of Jesus, with him to Ephesus, and she, as legend says, is buried there. So this church in Ephesus, man, it's amazing. It has amazing leadership, Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos, Paul, Timothy, John, possibly even Mary, the mother of Jesus. This was a power-packed church. And Jesus seems to agree, at least in part. Look what he says in verse two of Revelation two. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that sort of praise, especially from Jesus, it kind of makes me want to join that church. They seem pretty impressive to me. I mean, they are doing it all right. They're testing those who call themselves prophets and they're false. They are not... They're not bearing. Uh, they're not. They're bearing against those who are evil. They're they're working and toiling and, and enduring. They're a tremendous church. This work for toil is the Greek word kopos, and it is a favorite New Testament word. It describes the kind of mental and physical effort that it should take to follow Jesus. 
It's used. Paul used it many times. Others used it. Toil, labor, intense endurance and work. Now listen, here's where the Western church has missed the mark. Much of the Western church has turned Christianity into a spectator sport where people are only encouraged to come and see while others perform. And that's never the way Jesus intended it. Following Jesus is arduous. It's, it's labor. It's intense. It's perseverance. It's work. It's toil. And this church in Ephesus, that was the kind of church they were. They worked and they toiled and they persevered. They labored for the sake of the gospel. But despite all of these really amazing character traits, they lack something very critical to the Lord. And we read about it in verse 4. But, Jesus says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. As a church, they had moved away. They had abandoned the love that was in them at the very beginning. When I, when I first, um, as a kid, memorized this verse, my translation of the Bible at the time said, you lost your first love. And I have to admit to you, that seemed rather benign, really. You know, it was like equating falling in and out of love. Oh, you've lost your first love. You've lost that. Oh, that's, that's a song. Anyway, it felt a little benign, but I like this version a whole lot more. You have abandoned your first love. You have abandoned the love you had at first. What it shows, the intensity of that word, is it shows our neglect to something wonderful that we would walk away, move away, abandon the very thing that God intends for us to always have. It's interesting when you remember that this city, Ephesus, as I told you earlier, was a city that had been moved five times throughout its history. It abandoned its earlier place so that it could be closer to water, its lifeline to commerce. Such a poignant reference for a church who had also moved away, had abandoned the love that it first had. They had, they had zeal, man. They had zeal for orthodoxy, but they had abandoned their love for Jesus. They could debate with heretics and put them down and put them in their place, but loving each other, much less loving their enemies, was far more uncertain. They they persevered against all sorts of evil, but they were puny when it came to loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving their neighbor as themselves. They had become what Jesus warned his first disciples about when he said in Matthew 24, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Paul also talked about this in his letter to another church, the church in Corinth. It's a passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that many of us call the love chapter. Here's how Paul started it. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, 
I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This needs to teach us as a church some very important things. First, sound doctrine will only take you so far. Laboring and working will only do so much. Knowledge and even prophecy and solid instruction, they're good, but they're not enough. We can, we can do everything right theologically. We can have the highest reputation. We can persevere in every single way, even exercise spiritual gifts, even offer ourselves up for martyrdom. But if we do not love God and love others, then we gain nothing. We are nothing. We have nothing. It reminds me of what Brother Charles spoke to me and Donna on the day of our wedding. He said, without love, you were nothing. But love will make you somebody. Love is what makes us somebody, not just the love that God gave to us. It starts there, like Will said earlier this morning. But the love doesn't just end there. It has to come to us and be transmitted back to him and to each other. Love makes us somebody. Doctrine makes us smart. Orthodoxy makes us right. Love makes us somebody. We, as the church, I feel are being called like the church of Ephesus to return to the love we had it first. The love that, that drew us, that's the kind of love we need to return to. Look what Jesus ends with the church of Ephesus. Verse five, he says, remember, therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this I have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And we'll talk about them later in a few weeks. He who has an ear, verse 7 says, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus tells this church in Ephesus that they had to do three things. Remember from where they had fallen, repent, and return to the works they did at first. Remember, repent, return. It, this is a really great pattern. I'm not, too one, not, too, not one for formulas a lot of times, but this is a good pattern we should always remember. That when we find ourselves strained in our relationship with Christ, when we find ourselves spiritually dry and and lacking his presence, lacking perspective, waning in our strength, that if we will remember and we will repent and we will return, the Lord will restore us. 
Jesus, he wanted this church in Ephesus to think back and remember how much they had loved him at the first and how they loved each other. He wanted them to remember those moments that remembering that love that they had abandoned would cause them to see that they needed it again and therefore they should repent, change course and and turn back to him. And then by remembering and repenting, they were to return to their earlier deeds, which were born out of love. So as I close this morning, that's what I want us to do just for a minute. I want you to, right where you are, in your your home, in your dining room or kitchen or living room, wherever you're watching right now, I want you to take this moment and remember. Remember. Remember the love you had when you were first born again. Do you remember that joy? That peace? The hope you had? The excitement of Jesus living in you? of Jesus bringing you out of darkness and into his marvelous light? Do you remember how it felt when he took you as an orphan and adopted you as his own and gave you the right to be called a son of God? Do you remember the love you felt when he took you from the death that you were in your sins and brought you into resurrection power? Do you remember the love you felt when, though you were an enemy to God, he made you his beloved? Do you remember? You remember that love that you first had? And do you remember how it caused you to love others? How how his love for you made you want to love him back and, and love others in such tangible ways to You laid down your preferences. What you wanted didn't matter. You chose to prefer another. You chose to do things you wouldn't have normally done. You chose to serve and and show deference. You chose to listen and to pray and attempt to understand and to walk in that unity that Wade talked about earlier, where the Lord commands a blessing. You weren't fighting to hang on to your rights. You were laying down your life. You loved God so much, you almost couldn't help but love others. Do you remember? And it's not, if it's not that way today, then it's time to repent. Don't just try to do better next time. Don't just feel guilty and then go about your business. Actually repent. Turn back to him and and confess that you've grown cold. Tell him you've you've entertained other loves. Repent for not loving him as he deserves and for not loving others as he commands. He's right here among us. He's walking among his church, among the golden lampstands. He's right here, ready to forgive, ready to restore. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And when we remember the love that we've abandoned and we repent and turn back to him, then we will be able to return to where we once were. 
We don't have to make up for lost time or be miles ahead from where we used to be. We just return to the love we once had for him and for others and then watch what he will do. Donna's gonna come and join us. We're gonna pray for you and believe God to help us in this moment. As a church family, we are considering how we may have abandoned our first love. Chris knows this about me, but one of the things that delights me about walking in community with other believers is how God, when he is speaking to us, pulls it all together. I love a Sunday where everything that everybody brings somehow adds to the package and makes the the aha moment mm. of his revelation so powerful and unmissable. I, yeah. I need unmissable things. <laughs> um, and so t this morning, it started with Will's comment about the fact that it's it's our recognition of God's incredible love for us that allows us to have anything to give to the next person. Right. That as we receive his love, it builds in us this capacity and desire to do things for someone else. And Wade continued along with that about the fact that doing that with others, with the love that he gives us, is a is a part of our faith. It's how we grow up in the Lord. Nate continued that in what he was saying. If you're not if you're not in community that way, maybe God wants to grow that up in you mm -hmm. and and make you useful to the master. So there's this thread going through all of it. And then what you shared. Oh, so it made me think of this verse in 2 Corinthians 5 uh, chapter 5 where it says for Christ's love compels us and because we are convinced, the compelling love of God convinces us. And when we are convinced by that love of God, we do those things you said. We remember where we came from. Mm -hmm. We repent for where we are. And we return. We return to him because his love compels us. And out of that compelling love, we are convinced that he died for us. And then we are convinced that we should not live for ourselves, right. but we should be living for him because he died for us. And because we recognize all those things, we do not regard each other with a worldly point of view. Mm. Wow. We, don't, we don't think about each other as though God didn't die for us, mm. as though he didn't die for them, whoever the them is. Mm. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation out of his compelling love. Yeah. And so when you, when you think through what he's offered us to participate in, and then you let the Holy Spirit prick your heart where you haven't, you haven't engaged in all of that, where you haven't benefited mm -hmm. from the compelling love of God, um, that is beautiful, tender, kind conviction of the Lord mm -hmm. because he came for us and everyone to have the opportunity of abundant life. Yes. Um, and that's what he's offering today. And so today isn't about saying should have, could have, would have. Oh, it's <laughs> ruined. 
No, today is about being compelled by the love of God. That's right. That's right. He he has made the difference and we can be different. Yes. And we can invite others to participate in the difference that he makes. Yes. So pray for us. Father, thank you for this compelling word. Thank you that your conviction comes full of hope and power to change. Father, thank you that you love us enough to say, this is great and awesome, and over here, I have this against you. Mm -hmm. Thank you that you've given us this moment in time to stop and consider where we are, what you've promised, and that we can turn just like that. It's not a long journey. We may have wandered far, but returning is immediate when we put our eyes on you and we say, yes, Lord, that is the turning. It's not difficult. um, It's not impossible. And it's all that is required. So Father, thank you for the moment of conviction. May your Holy Spirit um, keep working it in us this week. We've been stopping at 3.30 for days on end saying you must increase. And this is a place, Lord, where you can increase. You've pointed this out to us because you're answering the cry of our heart that you would increase and we would decrease. So we receive your correction and we feel loved by it, Father. Mm -hmm. We receive your correction and we bow and we say yes. We want to remember the importance, the eternal value and weight of love, the love you gave for us Mm -hmm. and the love you're calling us into for each other and for people that have not come to your knowledge yet. Thank you for the mission. Thank you for the mercy. Yes, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your kindness towards us. And I agree with Donna, and I pray for everyone that's listening right now, Everyone that is feeling conviction in their heart, feeling feeling the, the movement of the Spirit drawing them, wooing them back. I pray, Lord, mm-hmm. that we would respond quickly to you. Yes. I pray, Lord, that as a church community, we would not be known for our doctrine or for our, our orthodoxy or for our uh, brilliance or for our intellect. We would be known for our love, the love of Christ, which compels us, the love of God operating in us, shown to us, and we love you back, and we love one another like you've loved us. Lord, help us to be that kind of community, and may it be contagious to those that are around us in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. Wherever we go, may people see and recognize love in our midst. Mm. Thank you for today. Bless all those that are participating in this worship time and throughout this week, Lord, that we might be a blessing. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys. Yes, we do. We'll see you next week.